Welcome back to the Breakwater Podcast and episode five of our seven episode series with Sandy. This episode is all about perception of harm. You've heard us talk about it on this podcast before and you'll undoubtedly hear it again. Perception of harm is basically how harmful you perceive something to be, whether it is a substance, an activity, a person, really anything. And perception of harm is developed through a variety of inputs and factors in our lives. Sandy digs into those factors and how we can help our kids understand risk, benefit, and perception of harm. Sandy is up next. Sandy, welcome back for episode five. How are you feeling? Good. Good. How are you? I'm doing really great. So... This is episode five of seven. Wow. How has it been so far? It's been great. I hope that the listeners are gaining from what we're talking about. I know I have, so I hope they are as well. In this episode, we're talking about perception of harm. And when we say perception of harm from a substance use prevention coalition standpoint, we're really talking about how risky someone thinks something is. In our case at Breakwater, we're usually referring to how risky someone thinks a substance is. We care about that because the less risky a teen thinks a substance is, the more likely they are to engage in using that substance or engage in that behavior. The rest, the less risky a parent thinks a substance is, the more likely they will be to overlook their teen using that substance. Can you talk us through how perception of harm comes to be? What plays into someone's idea or assessment of how risky or not risky a substance or behavior is? Sure, I can try and touch on that. (laughs) I think it's different for everyone. I think it's exactly what you said, depending upon messages that kids are getting, be it at home, social media, their friends. I do believe like you said, that it has a lot to do with how risky a parent thinks of substances. I know for some parents, they would prefer their children to smoke pot rather than drink alcohol or vice versa. And I think it for children or for kids and adolescents, teens, they don't necessarily place a whole lot of risk on a lot of substances and I think unfortunately a lot of it ends up being kind of trial and error on kids parts and parents parts in regards to where are the boundaries where are the expectations what are we willing to kind of look past what are we not you know how often someone does something vaping is huge yeah You know, we know vaping is bad and there's various things that happen in our body and our lungs that can put people at huge risk for long-term effects. Um, But there are people that think that it's harm reduction, that it's less dangerous than smoking cigarettes. Yeah. I think parents, some parents aren't aware that children vape THC. Uh, Yeah. And I think parents maybe think, well, they're just vaping. It's not that big a deal, but don't necessarily know what they're vaping. Or 
what their substance, be it marijuana, is laced with. Yeah. You know, there's lots of research out there. But we know that, you know, pot of today is not the pot of the 70s. Not even close. Right. So it's difficult for some to believe that. It's difficult for some to say, well, I smoked pot growing up and I'm okay. I think my kid will be okay. Not considering the risk of what is actually in that substance. Yeah. Yeah. Or how your kid's getting it. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned that these influences and kind of what goes into shaping your perception of harm, especially as as a teen or as a kid, or honestly, even for adults, is not only what your parents think about it or what your family members think about it, but what you're seeing on social media, what you're seeing out in the community, the influencers the influences are kind of coming in from all angles. Absolutely. And I know one of the big influences is various places have legalized marijuana, Mm -hmm. which has given many people this impression that it's safe. Yeah. And I like to kind of go push it back to, well, alcohol is legal too, but we know it's not safe for everyone, right? There's alcoholics, there's drinking and driving. So even in states where it's legalized, there's still age requirements. Yeah. And there's still monitoring of it. And I think people forget that it's not just a free-for-all per se. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you had mentioned in a previous episode that, you know, the brain doesn't fully develop until around the age of 25. And part of assessing risk is evaluating the decision you're about to make, right? And all the potential consequences of that decision. Kind of the risk-benefit analysis of if I do this, there are four possible outcomes and these are each of the outcomes and this is how likely each of those outcomes are. At this point in life, you know, the later half of my 30s, I feel like I've gotten a decent handle on on doing that. <laughs> As a teenager, though, in my early 20s, definitely not. So what is happening in an adolescent's brain developmentally, physiologically? Is risk assessment a skill that they really have at, at that middle to high school age? No, unfortunately not. They think they do, <laughs> but science research will demonstrate otherwise. So... Our brains develop from front to back, or back to front, I'm sorry. So it starts with the reptilian brain, the amygdala, the kind of fight, flight area of our brain, um, our instinct, you know, we need food and water to live, those types of things. And then kind of the next level of our brain or part of our brain to develop is the emotional part of our brain. The very last part of our brain to develop is the frontal part of our brain, which is decision-making, evaluating risk, being able to see the consequences of, potential consequences of our actions. So when you think about the fact that our brain really is always shifting, right? We're always creating different neural pathways in our brains and that the large part of our functioning is already intact, right, by 25, but we still change kind of those neural pathways depending upon behaviors we engage in and so forth. 
But when you're talking about many young adults, 14, 15 years old, engaging in risky behaviors, substance use, they don't have that part of their brain near development, right? You're talking about another 10 years. And I think as adults, we can look back and think, oh gosh, I thought I knew everything at 15 or 16. I I had that invincibility, right? Like that happens to other people Mm -hmm. or I know what I'm doing. When in truth, the brain doesn't allow that to be accurate. Yeah. But so often that's what many parents are kind of bumping up against is, you know, of course, the teen that thinks they know. Well, for some, it's easier to just say, fine, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily knowing the the real risk either. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm going to be 37 this year. And even when my parents were, you know, teaching me these lessons or trying to give me guidance, I didn't have a tiny computer in my pocket that I could pull out and prove them wrong. Right. And kids today have that tiny computer where at any given moment they can pull it out and say, nope, see, this is something completely different. And that's a lot for parents to contend with, too, when they're trying to, you know, kind of help their kids navigate those situations and understand the riskiness of something. Absolutely. And one of the things that I tell children and parents alike you can find your answer yeah, on Google, Yahoo, whatever. Like, you can find your answer, but you can also f- find the opposite. And so oftentimes, we don't want to actually hear the opposite or consider that our way of thinking is incorrect. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we're going to find the answer that's going to support us. Right. And it's difficult, I think, because we have the answers, right, on our smartphones that we lose sight of the personal experience. Yeah. Right? I can teach you from my personal experience, which isn't on the internet, thank God. <laughs> right? But it loses its kind of its weight. Yeah. You know, the power of personal experience in teaching our children and other people from personal experience versus this is something on TikTok or yeah. Instagram or you you know, YouTube or whatever it may be. And they forget that kids, I think, forget that not everything that looks so fun on social media is necessarily the reality of what they'll experience. Yeah. And there's that kind of magical tipping point almost where between middle school and high school, where you stop trusting and believing so much what your parents say as you do what the outside world says. Yes. Yes. And so that's a big hurdle too of Mm -hmm. like in middle school, I still, you know, you're my mom, you're my dad. I, I trust you. I think what you're saying has value. And then some magical point in high school, you're like, Nope, this stranger on TikTok knows more about life than you do. So I'm going to trust them. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so true. But that is really what really is society culture teens of today really value that yeah yeah you know and even younger I mean it's nothing for elementary school kids to be randomly watching TikTok and potentially without parental control or guidance or limitations 
Yeah. That's it's crazy to me because there is so much on there that you just happen across that is definitely not age appropriate for elementary students. Absolutely. So I want to bring this down kind of a little bit data geeky for a minute um, and put some local context to it. So in the most recent youth risk behavior survey for Winnebago County, which was in 2019, um, shows us that 30% of high school students do not believe their peers would disapprove if they drank alcohol nearly every day. And 25% of high school respondents to the survey reported consuming alcohol in the past 30 days. So that translates to a pretty low perception of harm related to drinking alcohol as a teenager. When it comes to marijuana, 55% of high school students do not believe using marijuana presents a moderate or great risk of harm. And 17% of high school students do not believe their parents would disapprove if they used marijuana. So that goes back to what you were mentioning before where, you know, everybody's kind of different. Some parents would say, you know, I have less of a problem with my kids smoking pot than I do with them drinking. And other parents have less of a problem with their kids drinking than they do smoking pot. And then there's a section of parents who don't like either one of them. (laughs) That's true. And I'm sure there's a section out there who really have no strong feelings one way or another about either one of them. And I want to be really, really clear that this is not a debate about whether or not marijuana should or should not be legalized. It's a discussion about the perception of harm in teenagers and their ability to evaluate risk related to substance use. And even if marijuana were to be legalized, it would likely carry an age restriction, much like alcohol, tobacco, and other states where it's been legalized, it carries an age restriction as well. Sure. So my question is, 55% of high school students in Winnebago County do not believe the use of marijuana presents a moderate or great risk of harm. Let's set the physiological and developmental impacts of marijuana on a teen's brain aside for a minute. Outside of that, what risks are we missing or maybe not even even considering if we're a part of this group of teenagers that does not feel like it presents a moderate or great risk of harm? Sure. Well, I think a big piece of it is the harm or the risk that goes into obtaining it. Mm-hmm. You know, it is still illegal. And because teens don't have the cognitive abilities to really understand the risk they're placing themselves in by going to a stranger's home or connecting with a stranger on Snapchat or whatever platform they're using and saying, Hey, let's meet up here. They have no idea what environment they're walking into. Yeah. And don't consider that it could be a threat. Mm -hmm. So I think that's huge just placing themselves in harm's way just simply to obtain the substance that they don't consider. I think oftentimes there's no consideration of what else is in the substance. For sure. Like they trust that what they ask for they're getting and that's Mm -hmm. not always the case. I think it goes to at least most recently really inexperienced drivers. Yeah. So students, many students didn't have to take behind the wheel driving test because of COVID. So now we have drivers who never had to pass behind the wheel, like driving test with an instructor. Interesting. 
we're now driving. And then you add smoking pot on top of that. And there are decreases in your reflexes, mm-hmm. inattentiveness, distractions. Yeah. And you put all of that together. That's not anything good, right? No, that's a dangerous mix for sure. And I don't think kids see that necessarily. Yeah. It's this idea of, well, I'll be fine. Yeah. Or like you were saying earlier, that invincibility complex. Like that, you know, going to a place to get something and getting robbed, that's not me. That happens to other people or that happens in the movies. That's not a real thing that could happen to real me. Right. Exactly. Or you're just overreacting. Yeah. As a parent, you're overreacting and it's like, no, this is like legitimate things that happen and happen in our community. Yeah. I'm not making stories up to scare you. It's you don't have the ability to see that this is reality. Yeah. Yeah. And your life experience doesn't show you that that's a reality. Right. And we hope that it never does. Right. Exactly. We hope so. But, you know, the whole being aware of the risk so much of it comes back to sadly that they have to learn the lesson yeah and at what cost yeah well even so you had mentioned that you there's a trusting that what you ask for is what you're getting right and things are laced you know marijuana thc cartridges for the vape whatever can and have been laced with other things and there's this whole other conversation going on around Narcan and Narcan training and making sure that Narcan is available for people who never intended to take opiates in the first place and seeing marijuana at least with fentanyl and then you have kids that overdose and you th- and they think you know pot is not harmful people don't overdose on marijuana they don't die well blah, blah, blah. well maybe not simply from marijuana but from things related to or in conjunction with there can be some serious problems Absolutely. And I think that's part of, for lack of a better term, the ignorance around the safety of marijuana. Yeah. And I know some people say, well, you know, it's self-medication, right? It helps me with my anxiety or my depression. And that may be true short term, but in the long term aspect of it, that's not going to be something that is long-term effective to manage yeah. these things. And then you don't know what you're getting. Your body reacts differently and you don't know what to do. Kids are scared. And then suddenly now they're scared to get in trouble. So they don't want to say anything. And, you know, it's kind of that ripple effect that they end up engaging in that is just so unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, and then they're not seeking the services or the help for the underlying condition that they're really trying to control or feel less bad about, and yeah, it just snowballs from there. Absolutely. So for this age group, the middle school, high school age group, what effects do marketing and social media have on their perception of harm and decision making? Well, I think it has 100% to do with it, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) You know, even to... Open your children's phone and to see what apps they have downloaded, what the content is, who they're communicating with. Is it actually someone they know or not? Mm -hmm. Opening Snapchat 
and opening up some of those contacts to see what the communication has been. Yeah. Um, I know that there has been connections over Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, all of those platforms of, hey, this is where I'll be if you want to pick up. Yeah. And that is frightening that teenagers, adolescents, whoever it may be, thinks it's okay to just show up at this random address. Yeah. That's terrifying. Right. And to think that it's safe and it's not a big deal and I can go into this home and get, you know, my marijuana and it's safe and I'm not going to get in trouble and nothing bad's going to hurt me, you know, happen to me. It just is frightening, right? The idea that smoking pot, taking risks, doing things that are unsafe are absolutely glamorized on these platforms. Mm-hmm. It makes it look great and fun and like the best thing ever. But you and I know that there's so much danger. Yeah. That is associated with it. And they don't think it's ever going to happen to me, right? It, that's the stuff that happens to other people. I'm too smart for that, or I know better. And our community has seen some of the ill effects of that type of thinking. Yeah, and I'm just going to throw out there that every time I think I'm too smart for X, Y, or Z to happen to me, I'm inevitably proven wrong. Right? Doesn't that suck? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. And... I feel like, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, there's so much out there and it's unfiltered and a lot of it just kind of comes to you, right? And like you said before, where you can go and you can find your answer. That's how the algorithms are are Mm -hmm. built. So the more you like of something, the more you see of that something, the more you search for something, the more you see of that something. So then before you know it, you know, one or two searches and now your feed is full of content related to marijuana or alcohol and you're seeing all this stuff that really just glamorizes that behavior absolutely and there's no risk ever posed in and in, in any of that right they don't yeah. portray the risk of it it's just kind of flooding whoever's you know searching the information just flooding them yeah with more and more and more and glamorizing it yeah yeah and I've heard that too where on Snapchat in particular, people will either post an address mm-hmm. or symbols like the gas can emoji I've heard is a common one. And it's just crazy things that if I just look at a Snapchat, I wouldn't, I'd be like, okay, that's weird. They have a picture of a gas can or whatever, or there's a random address. Cool. I wouldn't equate those two together, but teenagers would. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like there's so much that we don't know unless we make a point to know it. Absolutely. I mean, the idea for some parents, the idea of going through their child's phone is off limits. They're like, nope, my kid needs privacy. This is, you know, they have their rights to their privacy and to look up what they want and so forth. And And to me, oftentimes it's just turning a blind eye. Like it's okay to be informed at what your kids are doing. Yeah. You want to educate them on the risk, right? How do we help them understand the risk? Well, part of it is educating them. 
sharing those personal experiences, even if they're only half listening or appear only to be half listening, most of the time they're listening, but to be able to share those things so that they can actually hear that I'm not, I'm not telling you not to do this because I'm trying to be mean or ruin your fun. I'm trying to help you understand I have done similar things potentially and they haven't turned out well. Or I know someone who has done similar things and it hasn't turned out well. Yeah. And this uh, this was going to be what my next question was is how do I influence my child's perception of harm or prepare them to evaluate risks and make decisions in the moment? And you kind of like I think you already went into that with you need to talk to your kids. You need to have those conversations with your kids, because if you're not having those conversations and they find themselves in the moment being handed a drink or offered whatever, it's like deer in the headlights. And if you don't prepare them on how to handle that, they're going to make it up as they go along. Absolutely. And I think talking to your kids about it is essential. I think it's important to recognize that talking to your kids about drugs, alcohol, doesn't make them more likely to want to try them. I think that that's a stigma that some people have that, well, if I talk to my kids about these things, then they're going to want to try them. I think that we need to focus more on drug and alcohol use in middle school versus kind of getting more serious about it in the high schools. I think it's important for it to be a, a regular thing talked about and part of the curriculum and have honest conversations with kids about the risks. Yeah. And the fact that there are, you know, if someone is using it to self-medicate, there are other resources. There are ways that we can help you. All you have to do is reach out and they're available. Yeah. And for parents to know that. And, you know, I mentioned it in one of my introductions. I mean, I worked in residential treatment for the last 15 years. And I can tell you that most of my clients started using drugs and or alcohol around 12, 13 years old. It wasn't in high school where most people start using. It's before high school. Yeah. And that's, it sounds crazy young, but, and I've been, so I've been working in this prevention space for a little over a year now. And initially 12, 13, 14 years old as an age of first use really shocked me. But after a year, it's like, oh yeah, that sounds about right. And that's crazy to me. Right. Because you're talking about sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Yeah. And so oftentimes as parents, right, they're still our little kid at that age. But in reality, our children's world around them is so more advanced than what sometimes our own reality is. Yeah. And it's different than, it's totally different from when we were sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this stuff is in front of them all the time, whether it's on an app or the internet or just the community or school around them. And so if we're not talking about it, if we're avoiding it, that's telling them something just as loudly as if we were talking about it, right? Absolutely. I I absolutely agree with you because we have to be talking about it. Yeah. You know, it's the whole idea of not making a decision on something is really making a decision. So 
if we're not going to talk about it, it's kind of making the decision that it's up to the kid to decide. And that's not a good place for the decision to be in terms of using drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And as a parent, how do I compete with social media for my child's attention? Would they listen to me over somebody on Instagram or TikTok? Well, I think it goes back to maybe, but I think it goes back to kind of limiting screen time, knowing what your kids are watching, having those open, honest discussions and spending time building that relationship with your children. Yeah. You want to kind of cultivate that just as much as anything else. You want to hopefully be a trusted person to them. Where if they're struggling, they can come to you and tell you, hey, this is what's going on with my friend group, or this was offered to me, or I didn't know what to do in this situation. Um, Most young adults, you know, middle school kids have cell phones, and if they're hanging out at a friend's house to create basically a a safe word, right? So if my kids are put in a situation or find themselves in a situation where they're uncomfortable, and there's things going on that they don't agree with or they're scared or whatever that may be, they can text me a particular word or question, and I know I just simply go pick them up. No questions asked. I will, you know, we'll have a discussion later, but I don't want my kids or any kids, honestly, to ever be stranded and feel like they don't have an out. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's what happens is kids find themselves in situations, right? They don't realize the risk and they move forward with it. And then they don't know what to do when they feel stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I think having that, those conversations, frequent casual conversations, and it doesn't always have to be the big, like sit down at the kitchen table and that kind of intimidating, super uncomfortable conversation (laughs) It can be like as you're going for a walk, if you're on a drive, like I love talking to people while you're driving because there's not that pressure to have eye contact or maintain eye contact. There's space, there's background, there's other things going on. But I feel like you can learn more about somebody on a 10 minute drive with a conversation than you can interviewing them for an hour sometimes. Absolutely. And you're right. It's because there isn't that pressure. Yeah. It's not having to look you in the eye and do I say my truth or do I say what I think you want me to say? You can just simply be more open and fluid about what you're talking about. Yeah. And to your point with the safe word, you know, if kids, they they don't think of the risk, they don't anticipate that. And then they find themselves in a situation and you haven't kind of set up that line of communication or that safe word or that process of just send me this. I'll come get you. We'll talk later, but it's not going to be a big thing at the moment. And they don't have that. And their first thought is, I don't want to be here, but I don't want to tell anyone I'm going to be here because I know I'm going to get in trouble for being here because I shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. Then they're not left with a lot of options. Correct. And they have to try to figure it out on the moment with all the social pressure, the peer pressure, the whatever surrounding them. And that's really hard. Oh, it is. And when you think about, you know, back to the brain, that's not the part of their brain that is is working properly. That, you know, that's not their executive function at the moment. So any way we can help them 
be safe, feel safe, to remove themselves from those uncomfortable situations, and then have those discussions afterwards, like, okay, walk me through this, and what was your thinking, and, and what was your intention, and how did you feel with this or that, is going to be so important. Yeah. It's such a huge learning lesson, not only as a parent, but also as the kid. 